This episode of the Audacity to Podcast is brought to you in part by GoToMeeting with HD Faces. Welcome to the Audacity to Podcast, episode 89. Is FeedBurner still necessary for blogging and podcasting? Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Audacity to Podcast. I'm Daniel J. Lewis, and this is a how-to podcast about podcasting and using Audacity. This is where I give you the guts and teach you the tools to podcast with passion, organization, and dialogue. I'm so glad that you could join me for this. If you haven't already, check out the show on the web over at theaudacitytopodcast.com and you can get links to subscribe, rate and review in iTunes and all of the previous episodes. And show notes for this episode will be at theaudacitytopodcast.com slash 89. Now I'm going to get a bit controversial today because I will be talking about feed burner and is it really still necessary for blogging and podcasting? And even today, while I have been preparing my show notes, and when I put this out there that I would be presenting this topic, I received several comments and debate starting just from the title of what I said I would be talking about and talking about whether FeedBurner is still necessary and what its pros and cons are and what it can still do that other things can't do. So I've got eight things that FeedBurner can do, eight things that FeedBurner can't and shouldn't do, and some basic overall advice for you on whether you should be using FeedBurner and if I'm going to continue recommending FeedBurner and you may be surprised at what I have to say. But before I get into that, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, GoToMeeting by Citrix. They now have GoToMeeting with HD Faces, which is fantastic because your clients and colleagues are probably all over the place, especially now during summertime. People are traveling for business, traveling for pleasure, and there are those times that people take work with them and still spend some time while they're away working. And it's just so hard to get a meeting with them, especially if you need an in-person meeting, Forget it. It's impossible to try and do that during the summertime. Schedules are crazy. But that's why I recommend GoToMeeting with HD Faces. It lets you connect and meet with people online, face-to-face. And because it's online, it doesn't matter where they are, where you are, just be somewhere with an internet and a webcam connection, and you can have and host a meeting. You can even join a meeting with your iPad. It's super easy. Just download the GoToMeeting app, which is free, and you can join a meeting that way. It's super easy, super simple. I highly recommend it and use it myself for clients and colleagues. So check out GoToMeeting because it's it's super convenient for you and for everyone and super easy. My listeners can try GoToMeeting free for 30 days. Don't wait. For this special offer, visit gotomeeting.com, click on the Try It Free button, and use the promo code PODCAST. Be sure to use the promo code PODCAST. Thank you, GoToMeeting and Citrix, for your support. Now let's get into this real controversy. Start out by saying, FeedBurner is a fantastic service, and I do recommend it for some. 
Feed burner is for those who don't know everything. Now, please don't take this as an insult. I don't know everything. You don't know everything. If we did, then we wouldn't be listening to each other and learning from each other. But FeedBurner is for those who don't know everything or don't know almost everything about setting up a website. And when you start out podcasting or blogging, you might be starting out on a certain platform because that's just what someone recommended or you heard it's easy. You don't know all of these things about 301 redirects and maybe you don't even know what RSS really is and you don't know how to create a podcast feed from an RSS feed. FeedBurner can handle all of this stuff for you, yes, but there are so many ways, better ways to do just about everything that FeedBurner can do. But these better ways require that you have either more knowledge and sometimes more money. And if you can't invest either of these things in the beginning, then perhaps FeedBurner is the best way for you to go especially if you plan on changing things or if you think you might change things somewhere down the road, then FeedBurner would definitely be a wise choice for you. If you're on some kind of hosted blogging platform like Blogger, WordPress.com, Blog Talk Radio, seriously? or You know my thoughts about Blog Talk Radio. Or if you're on Squarespace or any other service like that, some third-party system, where you use their website for your podcast, then you should definitely use FeedBurner because if you ever decide to move away from those services, FeedBurner can help you keep all of your subscribers. Even if you're using a great service like Libsyn or Blueberry.com to run your podcast feed, it's still great to use FeedBurner on top of that because then you have that portability, you can move things around. I'll explain that more in just a moment. But for everyone else who's looking at using FeedBurner, it really comes down to how much knowledge do you have and do you really want to take total control of your feed or do you want to put that total control in someone else's hands and use their service to modify what your feed has or what your feed does? So let me share with you eight things that FeedBurner can do and then eight things that FeedBurner can't and shouldn't do. First, eight things that FeedBurner can do. Number one, FeedBurner can keep your feed portable or protected. If you start a website, we'll say you're starting it over at wordpress.com. So your website, your podcast is myawesomepodcast or myawesomeblog.wordpress.com. It gives you an RSS feed. You can take that feed Stick it into FeedBurner and you come out with something like feeds.feedburner.com slash myawesomepodcast. That's your feed address. People subscribe to that. If you ever change your website, move it around, you rebrand it, maybe it's no longer the My Awesome Podcast, it's the My Incredible Podcast. So you decide to go through this whole rebranding and rename everything and retitle your episodes and all of this. Well, a new website address means anyone who is subscribed to the old one needs to be redirected to the new one. With FeedBurner, this is really easy because you can just tell it, grab the feed from this new source instead of this old source. So people are still subscribed to feeds.feedburner.com slash 
my awesome podcast, but they're getting the information from my incredible podcast.wordpress.com. Or maybe they're getting it from my incredible podcast.com. So we call this feed portability that you can move your source feed around anywhere you want, but then FeedBurner takes that source feed and spits it out as a rebranded feed. And then people subscribe to that and they never have to worry about where you move things around as long as you keep that feed burner updated. This can also keep your feeds protected in the sense of if you decide to change domains and you don't keep renewing your old domain. So maybe you have myawesomepodcast.com. You rebrand it to myincrediblepodcast.com. And at some point, you decide to just let myawesomepodcast.com expire. If you do that and stop paying the annual fee to have myawesomepodcast.com renewed as just the domain, then anyone else can go in and grab that domain. And if your RSS feed was powered from that domain and you didn't set up certain redirects in the process or didn't fix things a certain way, someone else could then steal your podcast subscribers. Or they could, it's kind of a takeover, hostile takeover almost, of your subscribers. I have done this before. I will say that. I have acquired domains of uh, not quite competitors, but of podcasts or blogs that were in my fields, uh, certain fields of mine. And so uh, when I acquired those websites, then I saw, or even before I acquired them, I saw that the website owners were using, for example, myawesomepodcast.com slash rss.xml. That was their feed address. So all I had to do once I acquired that domain is I set up a redirect that would point anyone that was subscribed to that old feed to my new feed that provided similar content And I instantly, overnight, inherited many times more subscribers, hundreds of subscribers overnight because of that acquisition and redirect. If you don't want that to happen to you, consider using FeedBurner because you always have that same feed address no matter what the website address is. Now, there are still ways that people can work around this if you don't update your FeedBurner address. For example... If your feed burner points to myawesomepodcast.com and you decide to stop hosting myawesomepodcast.com, the domain expires, someone else grabs that domain, then they set up a, a little thing in it if they figure out where your feed burner account is getting its source information, they can set up a redirect or a, a new iTunes URL tag inside of the feed. So anyone who's using iTunes will get their new feed instead of going through your feed burner feed. Sounds very technical, but it's possible. So just know that keeping your feed portable and protected is a good thing that FeedBurner can do. So number two, FeedBurner can provide estimated subscription statistics. And emphasis on estimated and subscription. FeedBurner does not provide download stats very well. And the subscription stats that FeedBurner provides are helpful. I like them. I like looking to see approximately how many subscribers, RSS subscribers I have, because RSS subscribers means people who are 
subscribe to automatically receive anything that I post to my website. But this number is not completely accurate. It's only reflective of the actual number. Unbeknownst to you, probably, I've been doing a little experiment with the Audacity to Podcast. See, I made a mistake that I've told before that you should not make this mistake. I had everything using the same RSS address, blog and podcast. I did not split those up before. Now I'm doing something that I am splitting it up. So my podcast feed is now one address and my blog and podcast feed, the whole site feed is a different address. You probably didn't know that, but I split that up, not using FeedBurner's tools because I can't do that, but I split that up in a different way. And I'll talk about that in a future episode. But to give you an idea of how uh, this affects the numbers, when I look at the Audacity to Podcast stats, in FeedBurner. It says I have about 320 RSS subscribers to the podcast-only feed. That seems pretty low to me, but when I look over at my Blueberry Media stats, actual download numbers, then it tells me how many people have downloaded a single episode, and it's much higher. It's more than 1,000, usually around 2,000 per episode. So the RSS stats are helpful, but they're only reflective. They, they aren't completely accurate. And because of the nature of RSS stats, where the 200 people that hit the RSS feed today might not be the same 200 people that hit it tomorrow. And so there might be overlap. There might not be overlap. I might have 400 subscribers in two days. I might not. It's really tricky, but it's still nice to see a general trend. Like I can see looking back at just my RSS subscription stats, I can see in October last year, I took a big spike in RSS subscriptions. And I can also see that uh, just after Blog World this year, I also got another spike in RSS subscriptions. That's easy to see with FeedBurner. So I do like that, and that's why I say number two thing that FeedBurner can do is estimate subscription stats. Number three is FeedBurner can enable email subscriptions. This is really handy, and it's really easy that in FeedBurner, you can tell it that you want to enable uh, that people can subscribe to this RSS feed with email option. It's under the Publicize tab, and it's uh, listed as email subscriptions. Now, this is helpful because this means someone doesn't have to know about RSS. They can just subscribe with their email address, and when you post something, they will get an email that contains all of your new posts within a certain time span. That email can be sent at a certain schedule, and they receive that information automatically with your RSS, whatever information is in your RSS feed. So it might be the entire article or the summary It'll have a download link for your MP3 file or video file for your podcast. The same thing that your RSS feed has. It's just emailed directly to them. I have 56 people subscribed to the Audacity to Podcast via email to just the RSS feed. That's extremely handy for them, extremely helpful, uh, simple, and that's something that FeedBurner provides. There are other ways to do this and even better ways to do this. Like I could set up something in AWeber or MailChimp or Campaign Monitor or any kind of email newsletter service out there. 
using MailChimp to do it is a little bit manual, though, that I have to tell it I want to send a new RSS-powered campaign. But there are some services that are a little bit more automatic, and you could say that it doesn't really take that much effort, and it certainly gives you a whole lot more control over providing a branded experience that really illustrates and connects the information in the way that you want it to be connected, to appear, to be sent, all of that. And using a mailing list system allows you to integrate in other ways that you may really like better than uh, FeedBurner's option. But FeedBurner is a super easy way to have those email subscriptions on your site. Number four, FeedBurner can keep your feed online during a website crash because your RSS feed, source feed, is captured by FeedBurner. It's basically redisplayed by their system and published using their address. So if your website crashes your feed stays online. This is especially helpful if you're doing the right thing of hosting your media files somewhere else, like on Blueberry or Libsyn. By the way, if you need a Libsyn uh, subscription for website or for media hosting, that is, please use the promo code NOODLE and you'll get your first month for free. But if you use these third-party media hosting services, then your RSS feed links directly to them for each episode. And if you're using FeedBurner, then your RSS feed address is not on your website or it's, it's not hosted by your website hosting company. So if your website crashes, goes down, whatever, your RSS feed still stays on and any media files that are hosted by companies like Libsyn or Blueberry also are still accessible. So your podcast subscribers can still get your content and new subscribers can still find you, get your content and all of that. Number five is FeedBurner can change or override information in your feed. This is very popular and a good idea to do. You might title your website something like uh, the audacity to podcast dash, or well, I'll stick with the my awesome podcast dash daily tips on how to be awesome in your work, life, marriage, and Team Fortress 2 games. <laughs> That's the title of your website. Well, is that what you want your feed burner? Or is that what you want, rather, your RSS to say when people subscribe to your RSS? Do you want it to say all of that? Or would you rather it just say the How to Be Awesome blog and podcast? FeedBurner allows you to override that information, that there's this option under the Optimize tab where it's the title slash description burner, and there are several other options there that these are things that override what is in your feed already, and it will override it on a feed level. So the overall feed, not the individual items, but overall feed can be overridden, certain things about it with FeedBurner. That's really helpful. But then again, you could also do that through your website, but again, requires knowledge. Number six thing that FeedBurner can do is add Google AdSense to your feed automatically for you. This may or may not be important, but it is something that FeedBurner does very easily. Again, you can do this on your own website, but this means installing an extra plugin, adding some kind of code to your site that might slow down your website. Instead, FeedBurner can do this for you on the feed level and not have to mess with your website at all. Number seven, 
FeedBurner can make a web app-friendly feed. That is, when you go into FeedBurner and you choose the browser-friendly option, it has all of these little buttons that it can activate so that if someone looks at your RSS feed in their browser, they'll see buttons to add it to NetVibes, to Yahoo, to Google, to all of these different services, which is handy and makes it more user-friendly. And it's not just about being browser-friendly, but user-friendly. And that's great. But is it really necessary anymore? And in fact, this browser-friendly option can often make your feed burner uh, feed too big, depending on which options you choose. And by the way, that 512 kilobyte limit is an RSS standard. It's not just a feed burner limitation. So don't think, I'm going to ditch feed burner so I can have feeds that are bigger than 512 kilobytes. That's just not a good idea. Uh, The RSS spec is that it would be smaller than 512. You can have bigger if you skip FeedBurner, but I really don't recommend it because the bigger it is, the longer it takes for people to simply check whether you have anything new and you want your site and your feed to be as fast as possible. More on that in a moment. Then number eight is FeedBurner can very easily integrate with Google Analytics. So if you have a blog and you have a lot of people who subscribe to your blog through a blog reader like Google Reader or NetVibes or Feedly or some app on their iPad or anything like that, and someone clicks on one of your news items or blog posts from their feed reader, if you're using Google FeedBurner, then it will track that in Google Analytics and say that so many people came to your website after clicking on a link in your RSS feed. That's really handy, really nice to know, especially if you like stats. That's really nice to know. And I can see ways that FeedBurner will be integrating more in the future with Google Analytics. So those are eight things that FeedBurner can do. Again, those eight things are keep your feed portable and protected, Number two, estimate subscription stats. Number three, enable email subscriptions. Number four, keep your feed online during a website crash. Number five, change or override information in your feed. Number six, add Google AdSense. Number seven, make a web app-friendly feed. Number eight, integrate with Google Analytics. So eight things that FeedBurner can do by itself, by the way that you don't have to try and do in other ways. Now, it can do a lot more, but I really don't recommend it. Now, here are eight things that FeedBurner can't do or shouldn't do. Number one, and this is intentionally number one, if you host a podcast, I suggest that FeedBurner should not create a podcast feed using the SmartCast feature. The reason why I don't recommend SmartCast anymore is because has SmartCast been updated at all in the last several years? No. Has the podcasting specification been updated in the last couple years? Yes. Big time, yes. Especially in the last few months, we've seen iTunes updating the podcasting spec. And FeedBurner has not updated at all. You can't take advantage of these things. And in fact, if you try to use PowerPress, which I highly recommend, but if you use PowerPress to try and take advantage of many of these new podcasting features, 
it's very likely that FeedBurner could overwrite many of them if you're using the SmartCast feature. So if you want to make a podcasting RSS feed from a website that you control, like that's powered by WordPress, but you're hosting it uh, with some place like Bluehost or Site5 or HostGator, then don't, 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 don't use the SmartCast feature. Instead, use Blueberry's podcast feature. I've done this with all of my RSS feeds that I've gone through and I have turned off the SmartCast feature. And instead, I have the podcasting aspects of the feed set through PowerPress because PowerPress does such a better job. It's there in WordPress. So if I want to change content kind of things, I only have to worry about changing it in WordPress because I like changing content in WordPress, checking stats elsewhere. So don't create your podcast feed using the SmartCast option. Instead, create it using PowerPress on a WordPress site. But then again, like the things that FeedBurner can do, if you're not using your own self-hosted WordPress, if you're using Blogger or WordPress or Blog Talk Radio or anything like that, do use FeedBurner. And you probably should use the SmartCast feature because that will add things that those third-party services, the third-party hosted services can't add to your feed. So FeedBurner can add those on top for you. Number two thing that FeedBurner can't or shouldn't do is measure accurate download stats. When I look at my stats inside of FeedBurner uh, for download stats, and I've enabled and disabled this over time, but I get some really disappointing numbers, really. If I'm trying to look at these numbers as a reflection of how many people have downloaded the episodes, then it will be quite, quite disappointing. Like if I go into FeedBurner, the Analyze tab, click on Item Use under Feed Stats and change my show stats to All Time, and I look at, for example, episode 37 is near the top here. I see episode 37 of the Audacity to Podcast was five steps to an effective podcast website. FeedBurner says it has 839 views and 4,746 clicks. You want to guess what the difference is between those two things? Well, the views, kind of irrelevant. The clicks, that's probably how many people clicked on something from that post. But this still doesn't tell me how many people actually downloaded the episode. That's why I use Blueberry for that information. Blueberry's free And also, they have a premium media stats service that you can add easily to your website. Or if you have Libsyn as your media hosting, they also provide media stats for you that tell you how many times a file was downloaded from their servers or from your site, wherever. So FeedBurner is not good for media stats, download stats. Number three, FeedBurner can't or shouldn't implement 301 redirects or iTunes new feed URL tag. This is a little bit more complicated, but a 301 redirect tells anything that your site or address has permanently moved from one location to another. And it says, update this, or if the software is smart enough, it will update it. A 302, or I'm sorry, a 307 redirect is a temporary redirect, not permanent. 301 is permanent. 307 is temporary. 
when you want people to start getting your podcast or your blog from a different site or a different feed, a 301 redirect will push them over to that. iTunes is smart enough that when it sees that you're doing a 301 redirect, that it will update itself and say, instead of always checking this new address and getting redirected to the, uh, instead of always checking the old address and getting redirected to the new address, instead, just jump straight to the new address from now on. And the new feed URL is another way of implementing that as well, to tell it, this is the new URL, iTunes. Please change anyone who's currently subscribed through iTunes or the iTunes store. Change it so that it's using this feed URL instead of the old one. FeedBurner doesn't do this very well. Well, for one thing, the new feed URL tag, FeedBurner doesn't offer at all. This is part of its many, many, many shortcomings with the SmartCast podcasting feature. But a 301 redirect is a bit odd with FeedBurner too. The way it works on FeedBurner is when you tell it you want to delete a feed, that's when it puts in place a... Not the 301 redirect yet. It puts in place a new feed item that says, this feed has moved, please update. Then it does that for the first two weeks. Then the last two weeks, or 15 days really, the last 15 days, it will put in place a 301 redirect to your new address. And then after those 15 days, or a total of 30 days, it deletes your feed. There's a problem with that. Not everyone out there will change their subscription address. Not every program is smart enough to change its subscription address. So as soon as that feed deletes, you lose subscribers. In order to do an effective 301 redirect, you really have to keep that 301 redirect in place forever. An example of this is... uh, in one of my podcasts, the Are You Just Watching podcast, we've done some odd different episode numbering systems and some things I wasn't really happy about. And this is why I included stuff like this in my recent podcasting mistakes that you have to, you can avoid when you start. But if you go to the Audacity to podcast or go to areyoujustwatching.com slash I R and the number four. It will take you to our initial reactions, episode four, which I don't know why I picked this one. This was just a random number in my head. This was an initial reactions to the movie Twilight New Moon. Blah. Yeah. Why did I point you to that? But still, check it out. Now that redirect, that's not the way we do current episode numberings. And in fact, that's changed over time. So I have to keep all of these rules in place to account for anything any old URL that someone has mentioned in a podcast, I have to make sure that all of those things stay in place for forever. Because if someone types in that URL, are you just watching.com slash IR4, and it leads to nothing because I've decided, nah, I changed the way I do things. I'm not going to support that old system anymore. People should follow the new system. But the person who typed in that address doesn't know that. And I'm just going to turn them away if they run onto a page that says, oops, sorry, we can't find this. Maybe it's gone. Maybe you should go back to the website. Maybe you mistyped it. I'd rather it just automatically redirect people. So 301 redirects have to be kept in place for forever. And FeedBurner does not do this. I have a feed URL I'm maintaining that I've tried this multiple times. I've deleted it 
and try to get people redirected. And I've restarted the feed to see how many people are still subscribed to this. And I still have about 50 people subscribed to that old RSS feed address. And no matter how many times I implement a 301 redirect, they're still subscribed to the old address. So my only choice now is just I keep that feed burner address always going and just have it pull from the new source instead. So this was point number three, that FeedBurner cannot and shouldn't implement a 301 redirect or the iTunes new feed URL tag. Number four, FeedBurner can't correct some mistakes. Certain mistakes like if you started out like I did on several of my podcasts where your podcast and your blog are powered by the same RSS feed. So everyone who's subscribed through iTunes is getting the same RSS feed as someone who's subscribed through Google Reader. So blog posts bump out podcast episodes, which isn't good for someone who's just subscribed through a podcast program like iTunes. So I want to split those things apart so that people who are subscribed in iTunes will get just the podcast feed. People who are subscribed in a blog reader like Google Reader will get the podcast and the blog feed. You can't do that with FeedBurner. You can't split things out. There is a very technical way that you could do this if you weren't using FeedBurner. And that is that you could set up an HT access file to tell it if a client comes from this program, redirect them to this address. If they come from this program, redirect them to that address. I could do that. I could set that up if I wasn't using FeedBurner in the first place. But because I was... My only option was the iTunes new feed URL tag, and that only works for iTunes people. Now, again, that's technical. I'll get into that in a future episode, how to correct that problem, how to correct that mistake. There are other things, too, that FeedBurner isn't really good at correcting mistakes in your feed. And along with that, number five is that FeedBurner cannot fix feed problems. In fact, sometimes FeedBurner introduces feed problems. I've had this happen often with clients when they are uh, having some problems with their RSS feed, and we try and figure out what's going on, and we see if we can fix it with FeedBurner. Well, FeedBurner doesn't fix feed problems. You have to go back to the source. And sometimes FeedBurner wouldn't play nicely, or we might think we corrected it at the source, but the source is 512 kilobytes or more, and then FeedBurner says, we're sorry, we can't synchronize because blah, 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 blah. And so you can't even tell if FeedBurner is receiving it correctly. So you can't fix the problem. FeedBurner cannot fix feed problems. That's point number five. Point number six, FeedBurner cannot optimize your RS feed, RSS feed or it shouldn't optimize your RSS feed. There is an option in FeedBurner where you can tell it that you want your individual items to only display summaries or to be cut off instead of displaying the entire article content. This is a way that you can shorten your feed, but it's a very arbitrary cutoff point. It won't make sense. It won't be friendly. It will be in the middle of a sentence, and it's not what I would recommend doing. So FeedBurner does not optimize your RSS feed. In fact, FeedBurner might be making your RSS feed bigger than it needs to be. And it might be slowing down your RSS feed. 
FeedBurner certainly slows down how fast people get your new podcast episode if they're subscribed to your RSS feed. Because from when you release a new episode on your website to when FeedBurner actually updates the RSS feed could be, it's usually about 30 minutes. It could be even longer than that. And if you're having a problem where it's not updating, then again, good luck trying to fix it because FeedBurner does not fix feed problems. You have to fix the problems at the source and then see if FeedBurner is playing along nicely. So FeedBurner is not good for optimizing or speeding up your feed. It might do actually the opposite to your RSS feed. That was number six. Number seven, FeedBurner shouldn't, well, FeedBurner can't keep your feed immediately updated. This is basically the same thing I said. I just accidentally blended them. So if, you, if it's really important to you that the moment you publish a new episode or a new blog post that your subscribers immediately receive it, or if you want to tell people, yeah, it's in iTunes, and you're subscribed to your own podcast, which I recommend you do, and you see it's not actually in iTunes yet, or it's probably because FeedBurner hasn't updated it yet. Now, you can go through FeedBurner and you can tell it to ping your feed where it checks to see if anything's new, or you can do the nuclear option under their troubleshoot ties tab to resynchronize your feed back to the original source. But do you want to have to do that every time you publish a new episode? Wouldn't you rather just you publish and it's immediately available to RSS subscribers? If that's really important to you, either you have to do that manual step or skip FeedBurner altogether. And then number eight thing that FeedBurner can't do is maintain your branding. And this is in the sense of what people see through your RSS feed as well as the address itself. Now, I wouldn't say that the RSS URL, that feeds.feedburner.com slash myawesomepodcast, I wouldn't say that is really important to be branded, but it might be important to you. Like, I have the Noodle Mix Network over at noodle.mx. Maybe I would prefer to have all of my podcasts be something like noodle.mx slash feed slash the audacity to podcast or slash feed slash the ramen noodle or slash feed slash are you just watching or anything like that. Well, FeedBurner uh, makes it difficult to do that. There is this my brand thing, but it's it can be especially difficult if you have different domains. So FeedBurner is not good for maintaining your branding. So these eight things, again, that FeedBurner can't or shouldn't do are, number one, create a podcast feed with the SmartCast. Don't do it. Use PowerPress instead. Number two, measure accurate download stats. Number three, implement 301 redirects or use the iTunes new feed URL tag. Number four, correct some mistakes, like if you made everything from one feed and need to split it. Number five, fixing feed problems. Number six, optimizing your feed. Number seven, keeping your feed immediately updated. And number eight, maintaining your branding. Eight things that FeedBurner can't or shouldn't do. So here's where it comes down to, should you use FeedBurner? Is FeedBurner still necessary? If you have the knowledge to start out your blog and podcast right from the beginning, then FeedBurner is completely unnecessary. You will have more control if you don't use FeedBurner. 
In fact, if you want total control over your feed, don't use FeedBurner because, well, FeedBurner doesn't give you total control. FeedBurner will overwrite things. So if you want total control, don't use FeedBurner. But if you're in a situation where you might not have control anyway, like you're using Blogger, WordPress, Blog Talk Radio, Squarespace, anything like that, or you just don't have the knowledge to set this stuff up right the very first time, then yes, use FeedBurner because FeedBurner can fill a gap for you that uh, you could fill that gap with knowledge or hiring someone like me to set things up for you. But FeedBurner can also fill that gap for you. So if you think you might change things, if you're using a service that doesn't give you full control, or if some of these things that FeedBurner can do are really important to you and you don't know have the knowledge and you don't know how to do these things, yourself on your website or don't have the ability to, then use FeedBurner. So it's all a matter of how much control do you have right now? How much control do you want to have? And might you ever change things in the future? Do I still use FeedBurner? Yes, I do. Because I do like seeing the subscription stats. All of my podcasts still use FeedBurner. And because I'm using FeedBurner, and because it doesn't handle 301 redirects, I'm pretty much stuck that I'm using FeedBurner now. Will I use FeedBurner in the future? I probably will because I'm still interested in the easy email subscriptions, the feed portability, and the subscription stats, and also keeping my feed online even if my website crashes. Those are the four most important things to me. But those might not be important or even necessary to you, or maybe you have ways around those things. There are certainly ways around them. Uh, They might be costly or technical, whatever. So what do you think? Do you use FeedBurner? Do you think FeedBurner is necessary? I would love to hear from you. Please comment in the show notes over at theaudacitytopodcast.com slash 89. And also over on the website for the next week or so, and certainly in the show notes, will be a poll that I'd love for you to vote on. And it's simply asking, do you use FeedBurner? Yes, you use it and you like it and you think it's necessary. Yes, you use it, but you don't like it or don't think it's necessary. No, but you think it's necessary and should be using it. Or no, you don't like it and don't think it's necessary. So please vote. Pick one of those four options and vote over at theaudacitypodcast.com slash 89. And also, I'd love it if when you go to the show notes, or even just, I'd love it if you'd go to the show notes and click all the sharing buttons over on the left side and the footer or the header, and that way you can share it in your social networks, like it on Facebook and all of that stuff. And that really helps popularize the podcast. And leave some ratings and reviews in iTunes as well. All of the links for all of this and more are at theaudacitytopodcast.com. Now, if you have any questions for future episodes, or if you want to respond to this in a way that I can include in a future episode, because I know I'm probably going to get a response from my good friends over at techpodcast.com and Blueberry, Todd Cochran and Michael Dell and Angelo Mandato are great guys, extremely knowledgeable, have a lot more programming and technical knowledge than I do. And all three of them absolutely hate FeedBurner. And they've helped me change my mind about a lot of things that FeedBurner can and can't do and whether it should be uh, used. And their opinions also helped change what I was going to share with you today. Originally, I was going to share four reasons that you should be using FeedBurner. 
Now I've changed my mind that some people should be using it, some people shouldn't. Like I said, it depends on how much control you have and how much control you want to have. By the way, I know a question out there many people would ask is, well, if, if I'm using FeedBurner, isn't that giving control to someone else? And what if Google shuts down FeedBurner? Well, most likely Google is not going to shut down FeedBurner. It's very, very unlikely that they would do that. But you still do own your feed if you're putting it through FeedBurner. You just don't have total control over what's in your feed, like things like the iTunes new feed URL tag and that information. FeedBurner has certain things set up that does do that stuff for you, does that stuff for you. But it depends on how much control you have, how much control you want to have. And if FeedBurner ever did shut down, uh, for Georgian just mentioned this in the live chat room, if FeedBurner did shut down, then about 90% of the podcasters would probably be shut down too because a lot of podcasters and bloggers use FeedBurner and it is a great service. I don't think it's as necessary now as it used to be. But I would love to hear from you what you think. And if you want to uh, give a rebuttal to this, and now I'm kind of in the middle. Now I'm saying feed burner for some, not for others. Please call 903-231-2221 or go to theaudacitypodcast.com and click on the send a voice message tab over there. Or you can also email feedback at theaudacitytopodcast.com. I'd love it if you would join me when I record this show live every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, that's GMT minus four, over at noodle.mx slash live. If you'd like some more information on this issue of FeedBurner and its relevance for podcasting, I highly recommend that you check out an episode that Ray Ortega will be doing over at thepodcasterstudio.com. He hasn't released it yet, but I will update the show notes with a link to that when he posts it this week. And also check out an episode that Dave Jackson from schoolofpodcasting.com recorded with Michael Dell from Blueberry. And I'll have a link to that also in the show notes over at theaudacitypodcast.com slash 89. And let me know what you thought about this content. Is there something you disagree with? Is there something you think I missed? What's your opinion about FeedBurner? Are you using it? Please vote in the poll over at theaudacitypodcast.com. And you can follow me on twitter.com slash the ramen noodle. I'd love to hear your feedback for future episodes. Again, that feedback information is 903-231-2221 or email feedback at theaudacitypodcast.com. I'm looking forward to New Media Expo in January in Las Vegas. I'm going to try to speak at that. News to come in the future. Now that I've given you some of the guts and taught you some of the tools It's time for you to go podcast with passion, organization, and dialogue. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. Thank you for listening. The Audacity to Podcast is a proud member of the Noodle Mixed Network. Find more of our podcasts like About Once Upon a Time, Christian Movie Reviews with Critical Thinking, Clean Comedy, and Christian Worldview over at noodle.mx. The Audacity to Podcast is also a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Find all kinds of podcasts about technology, tech news, how-tos, and so much more over at techpodcast.com and watch for our awesome coverage coming up 
for this Consumer Electronics Show in January from Las Vegas. It's all part of the Tech Podcast Network at techpodcasts.com.